Welcome to First Christian Church. If you are new here or visiting today, let me just tell you kind of where we have been and where we're going. We spent several weeks looking at the I am statements in the book of John, where Jesus said things like, I am the light of the world, I am the vine, you are the branches. He made seven pretty profound statements in the book of John, and we have looked at all of them. And now we are making our way back through the book of John, starting with chapter one. Today we're in chapter three. Last week, we saw where Jesus began to uh, claim authority for these statements by doing that first miracle at a wedding feast. And I gave you guys an assignment last week. I want to see how you did. I gave you permission to use the phrase woman three times when talking to your wife or your mom or whoever that might be. I don't know how it worked for you. Still alive, that's a good thing. First service, people show me some bruises, things of that nature. Remember, that phrase used by Jesus was not disrespectful. It, it was not uh, anything derogatory. In fact, in my Bible, it's translated, dear woman. It could be translated, lovely lady. So if you use that out of context and just said, woman, God be with you. My wife asked me this week, because I used up my three pretty early in the week. And she said that she thought I ought to have a name that ladies could use for men. And I came up with one. Are you ready? Honey? (laughs) Okay, maybe not. Benjamin Kyle was having a bad day. In fact, he had had a series of bad days. It was early in the morning when employees of a Burger King in Richmond Hill, Georgia, found him out by their dumpster. He was naked. He was sunburned. He had red ant bites all over his body, and he was unconscious. When he came to, he had amnesia. He could not remember who he was, what happened, where he came from. He he just had no memory at all. He was taken to Savannah to a hospital. And it took him 10 years, 10 years to figure out who he was. It was with the help of some investigative reporters and some genetic testing that helped him determine his identity again. And it was his community that helped him put things back together. And when I first read that story, I thought... You know what? Most of us spend a great deal of time trying to figure out who we are, who we ought to be, don't we? I mean, we do this identity thing a lot. Once we figure out who we are, something happens and knocks us off kind of kilter. And then we remember who we are. We spend a great deal of time struggling with that whole deal. But for 10 years, no memory. Wouldn't that be a horrible, horrible thing? Matt Silen, one of my associates, is in Dallas, Texas this morning. He was on his way back yesterday from Mexico. Mission trip. We had 11 people. They pulled Matt out of the line, the security line, because he had no boarding pass. They would not let him on the plane until he had one, so they sent him back to the start. A lot of people, a lot of action, and he missed his flight. His bags came in last night, but no Matt. I guess he's in Dallas right now trying to figure out his identity, who he is and where he's going. Hopefully he'll be back this afternoon, but I'm sure he's not a happy camper right 
now. And if you've ever been there where you've kind of lost who you are or who you want to be or who you should be, it's kind of a bad, bad place to be. And that's exactly where I think we find Nicodemus today in chapter 3. A man who had a lot of questions. A man who wanted some answers. A man, I think, who came to Jesus to figure out exactly who he was and who he ought to be. Here's what we know about Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. The word Pharisee actually means separated ones. And that's exactly what they did. They were kind of the religious big shots, and they felt like they were better than everyone, and they separated themselves from common man. They controlled what happened in the synagogues during the day. The historians say they were approximately 70,000 Pharisees during the time of Jesus. Professional theologians who knew the Old Testament by heart, by memory. They were that connected to the Old Testament. They were experts in the law. They made it a daily routine to observe the Mosaic law. They felt like if you would obediently follow the Mosaic law, then you would be connected to God the Father. There were 69 other people serving on the Sanhedrin during his day. We do know that Nicodemus, for some reason, approached Jesus at night. Maybe he was busy during the day, or maybe he thought Jesus was too busy during the day, so he came at night. Maybe he wanted just to protect himself. He didn't want the rest of the boys to know that he was coming to question Jesus. Maybe it wasn't safe. For those of you who remember growing up with Nickelodeon, I think this could have been the very first episode of Nick at Night. He came to find Jesus, to find some answers because he really wasn't comfortable with who he was or who he wanted to be. The fact is, we all spend some time there, don't we? It's easy for us to forget who we are and where we're going and what we need to be doing. If you have your Bibles with you, John chapter 3, starting with verse 1, it goes like this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know or I know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, so there must have been some other things going on in the conversation, or at least Jesus had the ability to know exactly what Nicodemus needed to hear. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh and the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it, it sounds, but you cannot tell where it's coming from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. 
You are an Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to uh, what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you in earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And then probably that most recognizable piece of scripture, probably only second to Psalms 23, but Jesus shares these words, for God so loved the world and probably a more accurate translation would be for God loved the world in such a way that he sent his one and only son and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son Man, there's so much, so much going on in this piece of scripture, and I want to kind of talk you through it. I want to unpack it for you today so that you will understand that like Nicodemus, when we search for our identity, there are at least three things to remember. And the good news is, God did not leave us by ourselves to determine the answer. Evidently, Nicodemus probably had heard about Jesus or he probably had listened to him preach or teach or maybe he had seen some some miraculous things that Jesus had done. So he was confused and he wanted some, some understanding. So he came to Jesus himself wanting answers. And maybe here's some things that we need to remember when we go through such a time. The first thing is this, believe it or not, we can't take care of ourselves. I know what some of you are thinking, I'm a biggie boy, I can take care of myself, I know exactly what I need to do to take care of myself, so don't tell me that I can't take care of myself. Well, guess what, you can't. In fact, it goes back to Genesis chapter 3. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? Man, they had everything going for them perfect scenario and they messed that up. You know why? They made the wrong choice and they just can't take care of themselves. And ever since that time, we have to understand that we can't take care of ourselves spiritually. I don't care how good you are, you can't save yourself. I don't care what side of town you live on here in Evansville, you cannot take care of yourself cannot save yourself. Don't care how much money you have. Don't care what kind of car you drive. You cannot save yourself. Countries can't get it right. Corporations can't get it right. The heroes that we create in athletics and entertainment can't get it right. And I hate to say this, but I think there are a lot of times the church can't even get this right. Sometimes we make church so hard, don't we? God never intended it to be that hard. Jesus loves you. 
He died on the cross for your sins and mine. He wants you to connect to him so that you might connect to the Father. Heaven awaits us someday. Is that hard? Did you know that for 3,400 years they have been recording human history? Do I have any history buffs in here today? That's a lot of history, right? For those 3,400 years, globally, we have only been at peace 268 of those years. That's about 8%. All the rest of the time, 92%, someone's been fighting with somebody. So we have a hard time taking care of ourselves. We have a hard time getting that right. We need some help. This shouldn't surprise anyone. Romans 3.10 says, there is none righteous. And then they say this, and I like it, no, not one. So if you think you have it together spiritually today, guess what? You don't. None of us are righteous. We need help. We can't save ourselves. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This hopefully does not surprise you. We're all sinners. Hang on to your chair. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. Quick survey. How many sinners do we have here today? Okay, the room's full. I'm I'm saying. That's kind of the deal. There are two kinds of people in this world. There are sinners and there are saved sinners. How many saved sinners do I have in the room today? That's where we need to land. God has a plan. We cannot save ourselves. We are all flawed. We are all broken. We are all weak. We need to find our identity. We need to know who we are and who we need to be. And the good news, God hasn't left us on our own to find us. This thing called salvation is not just for the sweet by and by, but it's also for the here and now. And once we connect to God, we can begin to understand and have confidence in our salvation because we identify to the Father through the Son. Once we have that connection, we can begin to understand who we are and who we ought to be. John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. God wants his people to be happy. He wants us to enjoy life to the full. Romans 5.17, Paul says, those who receive God's grace and his gift of righteousness will reign through one man, Jesus Christ. The key to our identity is Jesus. We need help. Romans 8.37, in all things, we will be more than conquerors through Christ Jesus Christ our Lord. Our identity, the key is Jesus. He is our helper. 1 John 5, 4 says, everyone born of God will overcome the world. And isn't that our ultimate goal? To be overcomers? To one day stand with Jesus in the presence of the Father? We, we, we need him. We cannot save ourselves. Our identity in God is found in Jesus. 
Salvation is not just having your sins forgiven. It's not just avoiding the punishment of hell. It's understanding that God has given us the power here and now, the potential to reign or be victorious in this life, to be more than a conqueror, to live life and to live it to the full. And we can't do it on our own. So Nicodemus was trying to figure this whole thing out. So verse 3, he comes to Jesus. Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom unless they are born again. This must have been weird sounding to Nicodemus. He knew the Old Testament. Born again is never mentioned in the Old Testament. If you were to ask him, an expert in the law, in the Old Testament, in order to be a part of the kingdom of God, a person must be what? He would never say born again. He would say something like um, circumcised or one who obeys the Mosaic law. That will make them okay in the eyes of God. But this whole born again thing was very foreign to him. You see, water and spirit meant a great deal to people in their day. Water was a symbol of life and spirit implied a spiritual experience. So there needs to be a physical, spiritual experience This rebirth has to happen in order to see the kingdom of God. And it's a perfect picture of baptism. A new beginning. A fresh start. A remake, a reboot, a do-over. A second chance. Metamorphically and literally, there needs to be some kind of experience. And Jesus is referencing now this thing we call baptism. Salvation is not something you can do on your own. You need help. I need help. Our helper, Jesus. Remember this guy? Tim Tebow. This was a few years ago. It was a championship game against Oklahoma for the BSC championship. And he had John 3.16 painted in his eye black. You know what happened after that game? They won. But after the game, nine, 90 million people Googled John 3.16. It crashed the internet. And you know what I thought when I heard that story years ago? That many people have no clue what John 3.16 says? You've got to be kidding me. I have tried to quit saying seriously. I'm not good at it. Seriously, that many people have no clue what the gospel message is all about? Because Jesus says, God loved the world in such a way that he sent his one and only son and whoever believes in him will not perish but have life eternal. And then we usually leave this off. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save those who were lost. Guess who were lost? Y'all. Us. Weans. We were lost. And because of the death of Jesus, because of his sacrifice on the cross, we have hope. Something weird happens right before this because he talks about snakes in the desert. Did you catch that around verse 14 and 15? Let me kind of talk you through it. He's referencing the book of Numbers chapter 21. 
believe it or not, the people of the church, Israel, they were in the wilderness. They were grumbling, whining, and complaining. Sound like your kids? I mean, that was the deal. Now, that would never happen in this church, would it? Grump. I heard that snicker. <laughs> Grumbling, whining, complaining. I mean, God finally said, hey, I've had enough. So he sent poisonous snakes into their camp. Those snakes bit a lot of people. A lot of Israelites died. So the rest of the church, Israel, went to Moses and said, hey, 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 hey. Can you talk to God? Can you do something about these snakes? And Moses talked to God and God told Moses, I want you to build a bronze snake, stick it on a pole, put it in the center of the camp. And if a snake bites someone, if they look at that raised up snake, they will live. Now that always kind of irritated me because I don't like snakes. And God could have just said, no snakes, be gone. He didn't do that. And other people were bit by these poisonous snakes. And when they looked at the snake that had been lifted up, they lived. <laughs> Aren't you glad God got that out of his system? <laughs> I am. And then he references also the Son of Man being lifted up. He says a day will come when the Son of Man will be lifted up. And all of those who look to him, they will be saved. They will have eternal life. So do you see the Old Testament connection with the New Testament verbiage now? A day will come when Jesus would be lifted up. Talking about his death on the cross and some theologians say it might even imply his ascension. But a day would come when Jesus would be lifted up and those who look to him, who believe in him, who are connected to him, they will have life and have it for eternity. So a day is coming when we must admit sooner or later that we can't help ourselves. We need help. We need a helper, Jesus. The second piece to this puzzle, our identity is found with the Christ on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price for your sins and mine. We will no longer be held accountable if we are connected to him. Crucifixion is a central part of our salvation and who we are. We find our identity in Jesus without a relationship with Jesus. We will never, ever experience the kingdom of heaven. I cannot say this guy's last name. When you get home today, I want you to Google this guy. I'm not hooked on phonics. I'm just going to call him Teddy G. Teddy G, for over 40 years, has been known as the San Diego Chicken. Have you ever seen the San Diego chicken in person? I mean, hilarious. In fact, he was probably what, uh, um, what encouraged all the other athletic entities to develop their own mascots and ministry. That was kind of the deal. His last name is G-I-A-N-N-O-U-L-A-S. If you can pronounce that, see me later. Teddy G., says that he has known this identity for a long time, being the chicken. And he says, 
He has an alter ego that he loves. I discovered an untapped personality when I was inside that suit. I have to be careful not to lose myself in that suit. I don't know what I'm going to do when I'm done. I have plenty of chicken stories, not a whole lot of teddy stories. Then he says, now catch this. Many people try to live life being someone God did not create them to be. They lose themselves in other things instead of finding their identity in Christ. (laughs) Whoa! Maybe we can learn something today from a chicken? Or a guy inside a chicken? I think he's on to something. Our identity, we can't help ourselves. We need help. Our identity is also in the Christ of the cross. And one more thing needs to be said and then we're done. We need to better understand the law of where you look. Let me tell you what I mean there. See, in the Old Testament, when the people looked to the snake that had been lifted up, they received life. Obey God, you receive life. New Testament, when we look to the Jesus that has been lifted up, we will receive what? Life. It all depends on the law of where you look. You see, there's a lot of people probably here today who look in all the wrong places. They look to their job, maybe to their spouse or their children or their house or their car or their home or their finances. It's not important. What's important is that we look to Jesus. So it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how tall you are, if your eyes are blue or not so much. It doesn't even matter if you like baloney. What matters is connecting to Jesus. It's the law of where you look. Do you remember this, this old hymn? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth, they will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Hard question, okay? Are you happy today? Where are you looking? Are you looking to Jesus? Because nothing else will really help. It all depends on where you look if you want to understand who you are and what you ought to be. Seven-year-old little boy won $2 in children's church for reciting his memory work. Two bucks was a big deal to him. He told his teacher he was going to put it in the offering. <laughs> the teacher said, oh, oh, I'm sure that will please God. And the little boy said, I hope so. Now maybe God will let me do some of the things I want to do. Doesn't work that way, folks. We can laugh at a little boy doing that. But it's kind of hard to laugh at someone who's all grown up and thinks they can just buy God or pay him off or hold him hostage or do whatever it takes and then they can do whatever they want. Nicodemus 
learn some things that night. And my hope as we begin to think about this thing we call communion, that you can personally, intimately, all by yourself, ask God to help you better understand who you are and who you ought to be. And if they don't come together, maybe today is the first day that you can begin to do something about it. Do you understand the plan? Who you are and who you ought to be, our identity is found only in Jesus. Will you pray with me?